Is this the dagger? Illegal substitution, too many men on the field, Saskatchewan. Gizmo has a block and the sideline. He has not stepped out, he may go all the way. He needs one block and he'll do it easily. Promise mess I wouldn't do this. McDavid stops up. What a move, shoots, scores! everybody it's episode 61 of the outsiders i'm Bryn griffiths along with robin brownlee how you doing robin hey i'm terrific Bryn, ready to rumble today yeah ryan rashog from tsn joins us on this episode ryan we've both known for a very very long time i, I wonder if we're going to get something new and fresh and different something we've never heard from from ryan before do you that's that's the goal on this episode today for me yep all we can do is ask and lead him down, lead him to the path and see if he walks down it. It would be very simple to do the old traditional. So what do you think of the playoffs? Well, the playoffs have been kind of interesting on our taping day. We're going into a game seven between Montreal and Toronto. There can't be any pressure on Montreal going into this game tonight. Can there? None. No, <laughs> none. none. They're not. Here. Yeah. The, uh, the Maple Leafs have had a comfortable lead in the series and the Habs just are fighting back and fighting back. And they're starting to check the stars in Toronto the way they checked the stars in Edmonton when they played them. So I'm not overly surprised. We'll see how it plays out. Anything you want to talk about in the playoffs? Oh, I got to say one thing. Watch Colorado absolutely destroy the Vegas Golden Knights. Now, granted, Vegas had one day's rest. And uh, the Colorado guys have been sitting, waiting for six days. So kind of, kind of, uh, kind of what I expected. But man, oh man. Nathan McKinnon, everybody on that team, they look like they are, they're ready to go, baby. Yeah, you know, we going into the playoffs, I think we did our picks, Bryn, and uh, I had Colorado coming out. That's no revelation to anybody. A lot of people, I I assume, have the same thing. But, I mean, rest or not, um, advantage in terms of timing or not, they just looked like, uh, they were going to win by as much as they wanted to win by, and uh, nothing's changed for me. I, I don't know who gets in their way on that side of the draw. Hey, one thing, too, to kind of wrap things up on an Oilers front, because when we taped, it was pretty much a fresh series that had come to a conclusion. Very impressed with both uh, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, who looked like they were beaten up pretty badly after that series, but watched their their garbage bag day, their uh, their media availability. And, uh, of course, there were the obligatory stories about, well, they're wasted another year and all that stuff that we keep hearing out of Central Canada. How much longer is it going to be before Connor asks for a trade? Well, I thought both guys handled all those questions remarkably well and have, have gone on the record as stating that they uh, they feel like they're very invested in Edmonton. And, and that's important stuff to say, Robin. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, frankly, Bryn, uh, because, you know, if you refer to it as the obligatory stories about, oh, he's going to want out sooner or later. Yeah. You know what? It's bullshit. It's stuff I expect from some fans because that's what fans do. And they sure give the other city thought, but uh, it comes out from some media guys. I'm not going to name anybody or try and show them up, but come on, man. Think of another storyline. Um, they're disappointed. Uh, sure. I think both of them shut any of that kind of talk down uh, in their very next avail. So let's leave that alone and uh, concentrate on what comes next. Uh, not, not that storyline. Cause I don't think it's happening. Well, we could talk about it again, maybe next year. Sure. Or the year after, because it always seems to come up and Hey, if the, if the Leafs don't win game seven, is anybody going to say that Austin Matthews is ready for a deal to go somewhere where he might have a chance to win? It's been a long time since Toronto's won a series. Anyway, enough about that. Ryan Rashog from TSN joining us on The Outsiders today. The Outsiders is brought to you by the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City. We want to thank Brent and everybody, but let's get right to Ryan on the big shoe.
Hey, before we get going and we start talking about our first guest, I like it when it gets a little, how do I want to word it, a little testy between a reporter and a coach. Brian Rashog, TSN. Um, I've seen you here for a month. Like, I know who you are. Just yes. You, were a, you might be good at what you do now, but you were really a bad player. <laughs> That's what bad players become, is me. I, and we have a media player here who played in the Western Hockey League, Ryan Rashog from TSN. How you doing today? Well, I think we might just wrap it up here, fellas. Thanks for bringing that one out, Bryn. <laughs> Man, I still wow. laugh when I hear that because, well, one, you got to know Hitch, and we had him on a few weeks ago, and he'll give you a shot if he can. If he's oh, got yeah. the time to give you a shot with that smirk on his face, he'll do it. You guys, that was that was very playful, very fun. Although Dan O'Toole came off the back end of that and seemed like he was horrified, we all thought it was funny. Yeah. And I just loved watching the smile on your face as we played that. So anyway, welcome to the Outsiders today. By the way, yeah, I'm so happy to be here. This we've been trying to line this up for a little bit, and uh, I'm really happy that it worked out. I, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I happen to have a little bit more free time on my hands the last week or so, and this. <laughs> This actually meshed with my uh, covering the Oilers uh, schedule. Do you, uh, before we start talking about you and where hockey's at, let's let's briefly talk about how the year went for you uh, covering the Oilers. It was a fascinating <clears throat> season, a lot of fun to watch, but it just ended with a huge thud. And are you surprised? I mean, Winnipeg was a hell of a team, and it just it's amazing that the games were so close and that it ended the way it did. Yeah. I mean, I think heading into the series, and I'll lump myself into this as well, guys. I mean, the Winnipeg Jets probably didn't get the respect that they deserved. But I don't even know if they deserved it because they finished with such a sputter to the regular season. So I think a lot of people looked at the way the Oilers were playing and the way the Jets had been playing and thought look, the way the Oilers had you know, just made a meal out of them during the year. And it felt like it was a no-brainer. But the Jets are a veteran team. They've been through some tough playoff battles. They're a deeper lineup than the Oilers have, and they've got one of the best goaltenders on the planet. So I, in hindsight, I was just dead wrong thinking that the Oilers would, would cakewalk it. I picked the Oilers in five. Uh, the Jets are just deeper, and that depth was really evident. They ran into a hot goaltender, and the Oilers are still a group that's learning some tough playoff lessons. And you know, At the end of the day, they didn't have the quality of player that they needed to put on the ice often enough in their lineup and the Jets did. Ryan, uh, I want to talk more about what we saw this year, maybe what comes next. But, you know, when I, I looked at your bio this morning because memory tends to fail after a while, I'm thinking, man, you've been covering this team now for, you know, since 2000 in one form or another, basically. Um, Time flies. This, this, uh, and you haven't seen a whole lot of success. I mean, I remember when I came to Canada, uh, to Edmonton in 89 and Jim Matheson walked me into Rexall Place and into the dressing room and here's the new yeah. guy and blah, blah, blah. Uh, there was still a Stanley Cup to be won at that point. Um, aside from that cup run in 06, you've covered a lot of teams that haven't had a lot of success. And um, it always hasn't been an easy gig to do that in this town. Are you 15, 16 years later, um, well, more than that for you, um, where do you feel like you're at as a reporter? Because we gave you a shot about being a player coming out. Uh, <laughs> now you're one of the veteran guys. You're what, you're, I won't call you old school, but you're now one of the senior guys around here. Yeah. Bye, doesn't it? Yeah, you're making me feel uh, definitely older, but yeah, time. Time flies, and, and you were the veteran guy on the beat when I first showed up, Robin, and that was, you know, there was still a an echo of the glory days back then, even. Just just an echo of it, you know, and there hasn't been a lot of success, you're right, since, since I've been covering this team. Um, it's been an interesting exercise year after year after year covering a team that, that isn't meeting expectations and that the fan base is generally frustrated. It creates an interesting relationship between a reporter and the fan base when the team that you're doing your best to cover accurately is a team you generally have to be crapping on for a high percentage of the time you're doing your job. So you kind of, you know, it creates an interesting dynamic with the fan base. Uh, There was the run in 06. That was really interesting. Um, but yeah, the success has not been there and it's been, 
I mean, I'm not invested in any way, shape, or form. You know, I stopped cheering at hockey games the the minute I picked up my microphone, you know, 20-some years ago. So it doesn't make a hill of beans difference to me, but um, I see the angst that the fans have gone through. I see the struggles the organization has gone through. And the fan base here certainly deserves more success than what the organization has been able to give them uh, for quite a while. And so for me, that's kind of what sticks out here is, man, I'm glad I don't have to be a fan and don't have to be emotionally invested in this team because what a rough go for a long time. Well, let's stick with that for a second because I'm always asked, who, who do you cheer for? Well, I, I say <laughs> to people, I don't cheer for for teams. I cheer for the, the players in the jerseys. And we've get we've been given this great opportunity to, to meet a lot of people who are wonderful people in the game of hockey. So, And I keep going back to when the LA Kings won their first Stanley Cup. And, you know, we had Matt Green... And I'm trying to think, we had Jared Stoll, guys that we liked to deal with who were really great people. It was really easy kind of to cheer for L.A. a little bit because we want to see good people have good things happen to them. And, and so that's kind of the way I've always gone with things because you still want to be emotionally invested in the game. It's really tough when you have to push back just a little bit to stay impartial. But I like seeing good things happen to good people. And I don't know about you guys. Yeah, I mean, I probably push back further, Bryn. Like you, you were with the organization, and you, you, you know, you were a lot closer, and you know, you knew families and kids, and you know, you were with an organization. And so, once you've been inside an organization, you might think of the people who work for it in a different way. Yeah, you know that you are you share something with them. I don't share anything with these guys, and and so. Um, I push back quite a ways. It it doesn't matter to me. Results matter nothing to me. I don't I don't get excited if they win. I don't get upset if they lose. I honestly don't care. I'm in it for the storytelling and in it for the journalism. And it's funny we get you know we get some people call us homers. Some people call us a holes. It's like uh, for me, it's just I. It doesn't matter to me either way. And uh, while I agree, I want to see good things happen to good people doesn't matter to me if it's on the ice or not. I, I was thrilled for Darnell Nurse when he had his baby and those pictures on Instagram because Darnell has always been decent to us and given us lots of his time and he seems like a great guy. Super happy for Darnell Nurse and his family. Those are the things to me that when I think about you want good things to happen to good people, you just wish them all well. Whether they win on the ice or not, I honestly don't care. It doesn't matter to me one bit. And I'm not sure, Robin, if you were the same way. I don't know that you have to be that way to do the job. It certainly is the way that I'm wired. Yeah, I, I'm with you, Ryan. I always, I cheered, but I I cheered for the story. I wanted the yeah. best story. Uh, I can't say I didn't care. Um, you were, you'd been around for a while in that 06 Cup run. I was fresh uh, into Edmonton and covered that last 90 Cup. Now, I only did the home games. Maddie and Cam Cole did the traveling uh, with Boston, but um, I got a little taste of, of, of that last one. And then 06, you know what? When you walked into that dressing room, I mean, it hits you when, when you've gone that far. Oh, yeah. I didn't, you know, you, you can't help but at least feel for these players but of course but for me uh, it was always the story and and uh, I want to take us into something here aside from the results because I think you've been very well I don't want to use the word lucky it doesn't fit the situation you've come you came across the story of a lifetime uh with that humble Broncos situation and mm-hmm. I thought that was a tough one. I don't care how experienced you would be at the time. That's life and death. Uh, that anguish, that sorrow. Um, I can't imagine being in the spot you were in. And you guys came out of it as a network. And I think you, Ryan, as a reporter, and I don't mean to embarrass you, uh, looking as good as you possibly could. I thought you handled that story with uh, grace and dignity and allowed those families to enjoy uh, that same grace and dignity. Is that a, is that the story of a lifetime already, no matter what you do? Yeah. Yeah. I think so, Rob. Thank you for the kind words. I appreciate it. 
um, and I've talked about this a few times on different podcasts and such, and I always feel the need at the beginning to say, uh, it feels weird to talk about myself in the context of this story because, um, you know, it's about the families and it's about the community. And, and I know that you guys know that, but I also know as friends and fellow media members, you know, you're, you're concerned and you, you know, everybody was very supportive of us and understanding that that had to be a difficult situation. So I completely understand where the, the questions come from. But again, it's not about me or us in any way, shape or form as a network. It's about those families. With that said, yeah, from a professional standpoint, it's the story you never, ever want to cover. And I never, ever, you know, want to have to do something like that again. But once we were in it, we had to be all in in every single way to ensure that we did it the right way, because that's not one that you, you know, can or should get wrong. And so, you know, we had an incredible team, you know, I was the point person going in, but we had an incredible team. And from the five days of coverage in Humboldt after the accident to the, you know, um, working with the team to, you know, work with the rights to do the broadcast to putting the documentary together to our one year coverage, to the mini docs that we did, all of it. I mean, we threw our heart and soul into that thing. And uh, we definitely came out wounded and scarred and with a lot of things we needed to sort through. Um, but to your point, Robin, the, the, the satisfaction for me is that all of the feedback we've ever got from the families has been incredibly positive and incredibly appreciative. They've been so um, thankful for the way that we handle things. And that's, to me, that's just the most important thing. I, I, I wouldn't have been able to live with myself if we wounded people further that were already hurting so badly. Let's go way back with you. Where did you grow up? I was, uh, I was born in Sherwood. I was born in Edmonton, but I actually spent 10 years in Prince George, fellas. Really? <laughs> Yeah, first 10 years of my life, Prince George, B.C. Yeah, my dad took the family out there for a job. And he, uh, when I was a kid, we billeted members of the Prince George Spruce Kings. Oh, yeah. My dad uh, spent a short amount of time as the president of the team, the interim president, when there was, uh, when there was some change there. Uh, but I grew up idolizing the Prince George Spruce Kings or the, the B.C. Hockey League at the time, uh, B.C. JHL. And, and uh, yeah, that was so 10 years there. And then. On to Sherwood Park from there. So is that the first place they threw some lumber into your hands and you thought, maybe I can play this game a little bit? <laughs> yeah, that's where it all started. Um, yeah, man. And my two brothers, I have three brothers now because we, we adopted one along the way, but my two brothers at the time and I all played. And, and uh, yeah, that was life, man. Freezing cold temperatures, hard winters, all kinds of hockey, just nothing but hockey and and. Really where it accelerated for me, though, from a hockey standpoint was, was when I got to Sherwood Park. That's when I first started trying out for rep teams and, and played anything other than house league. You know, it's interesting, Ryan. One of the running jokes, no matter what generation you've got, is the guy who says, well, geez, if it wasn't, if it wasn't for that bad knee, I might have been able to, you know, have a, yeah. have, a, have a career. Now, as much as you get shots from Hitch and other people, you at least played 47 games in the in the Western Hockey League. You got a lot closer than than most of the so, so-called experts did. Um, what what at what point did you realize you were going to maybe have to cover hockey for a living in, instead of play it? I knew before I made the Blazers that I wasn't going to the NHL. I was in no way the stereotypical, prototypical kid who thought he was going to go to the National Hockey League. I knew exactly what I was. Like, guys, I went from being on the fourth line of my midget AAA team as a 17-year-old to a walk-on as an 18-year-old in the Western Hockey League. Like, right place, right time. They needed a physical right winger who could bang around a little bit. I happened to fit the bill and about the only thing I was any good at at the Western Hockey League level, I was so below average in every single thing in that league. The only thing I was above average at was hitting. I was a good hitter. Beyond that, below average. So it was the right place, right time. And I knew all along, Robin, I was under no false illusion. So this was not a case of 
Now, the coach you had, because that was after my time there, you had a yep. coach named Ed Dempsey. This yep. is not a case of, of Ed, Ed Dempsey not being able to identify talent. Then. Uh, well, uh, let's just put it this way. You know, it was kind of shock and awe in town when I made the team. <laughs> for anybody that, but that was a year where they took three hometown kids. They took myself, Blair Rhoda, and A.J. Baines, all of us as rookies together, right out of AAA Midget, which had never, like, that was unheard of. And uh, they had just won back-to-back Mem Cups, and they were significantly watered down, like significantly watered down. So there was space for some riffraff, and I was the most riffraffy of all the guys that took up any of that space. Uh, but no, but Shaq actually one time he, man, he loved to chew into me. He told me one time right in front of the team, Reesh, you are by far the worst junior hockey player I've ever seen. And it ain't even close. And I was sitting there thinking, well, you pick me. You're the reason I'm here. Like, what did that say about you? Of course I didn't say that, but that's yeah. certainly what I was thinking. So, so now how did you make the jump from playing to getting into broadcasting? Cause obviously we uh, we teamed up and met up at another point. We'll get to that in a minute. But yeah. uh, w- so when the hockey career was over, where did you go? Like you you, you obviously took yeah. some training, right? So yeah, I was the kid, Bryn, who had the. My mom's got cassette tapes of me. You know, you're listening to John Short's talk show. Call in at four eight three thirty three sixty five. Like the six year old Ryan Rashog pretending to be John Short, yeah, doing his own little radio show with my baby brother acting as the call in guys and stuff. Like I, I, I had that in me at a young age, and so in my second year with the Blazers, when I was trying to rehab my back injury and get back to playing, I decided to go on the road with the team one game. I asked if I could do color commentary, and they said, "Oh, sure, why not?" So I went to Kelowna. Uh, with Jeff Patterson at the time as our play-by-play guy, and I did color up in the booth. Just so happens there was a line brawl that game, and I damn near crawled out of the booth and over the glass. I was so amped up, and you know I didn't make the best. I wasn't the most neutral color guy, let's just say that. Uh, so that was where I got my first taste of live broadcast. I really liked it. And then when uh, when I had to pack it in from playing, I remember I, uh, I said to my dad, uh, I'm done. And... Uh, you know, I'm going to get a job and work for the next six months and I'm going to BCIT next year for broadcast journalism. And I already had a plan. Like the day I was, the day I was quitting major junior hockey, I already had a plan for where I was going and what I was doing. I just, for whatever reason, that taste that I had doing that game of color and my, you know, my interest in it as a kid, I had an uncle that worked for CBC for years as a camera guy. So I'd always been fascinated by his world and uh, off I went. I got accepted. I was one of the only 19-year-olds in the program. I was, I had just turned 20 when I went and was one of the youngest people in the program and, and loved every minute of it. Now, when you get out of school and you go get that first job, uh, how much did you think you knew then? And when today Rashog looks back on that kid, how much did you actually know compared to now? Yeah. That's a great question. And I never finished school, Rob, and I actually, so the way it worked is right out, it was a two year program. And right after my first year, I got offered a job at the television station back in Kamloops, but they're all sites, the FJC TV. So I didn't even go back. I went to the TV station and had my on air first on air sports job with 10 months of training. And, uh, it just, you know, they liked the fact that I, I played for the team like 18 months before I was covering three quarters of the team that I'd played with. Um, but yeah, I showed up with only a year of training. I think I had a pretty good sense of the challenge and how much I needed to learn on the fly to be good at it. But to your point, Robin, no question. I was extremely confident that I would be just fine. Cause yeah, I figured that my, you know, what didn't think and I'd played for the team in town. So that would buy me the credibility I needed. And yeah, I thought I had shit figured out a lot faster than I actually did. And then you <laughs> moved from there to Edmonton? <clears throat> no, no, Bryn. From there, it was, uh, uh, I got a job offer in Sudbury, Ontario. I actually wanted to come to Edmonton. And so I heard there was an opening at A-Channel here in Edmonton. And so I, I said to my dad, I got to get there. Like, I, I sent my stuff in. They haven't called me. I just need to go. 
So he was like, all right, let's go. So my dad and I hopped in, in my car and we drove Kamloops to Edmonton. And on the way, I phoned Chris Duncan, who was the news director, sports director at the time. I said, hey, I'm going to be in town next week or in a, in a couple of days. So you mind if I drop by and drop off a tape? He was like, well, I already got your tape. I said, well, it'll only take a few minutes. I basically forced my way through the door. So he sat me down and uh, and had a and I had a chat with him and I told him how keen I was. Your point, Robin, probably came off like I knew ten times more than I actually did. I was just totally posing. And uh, by the end of it, he said, "Well, you can certainly talk. I'll give you that much." <laughs> and so what happened is he didn't hire me, but <clears throat> he ended up having a job opening, and uh, um, he hired somebody out of Sudbury. And he knew the news director in Sudbury and said, look, I can help you out here. I'm stealing your guy, but I got a kid in, in Kamloops that's pretty good if you want to check him out. So I got a call out of the blue from Sudbury from the sports director, the news director saying, hey, I've seen your tape and are you interested? So I and my, my girlfriend at the time, uh, we moved sight unseen from Kamloops all the way across the country to Sudbury, Ontario for a station I'd never been to, a show I'd never seen but it was an on-air sports job and, and it looked like Kamloops television was going to contract and I wasn't guaranteed a job. So I had to make the move. Holy cow. I think Earl Seitz is still there. Oh, you know, <laughs> well, he's retired place. recently, but man, he's a beauty. Earl is an absolute gem. Yeah, the, a pearl. The, the, the pearl was a, was a, a good guy. Hey, look, you, you come here, uh, you know, to me, you rose rather quickly. Um, you know, CFRN, uh, in 2000, I think I may be off by a year. You started working yeah. the desk then. And then, you know, a few years later, uh, Kenny Chilibeck says, ah, I'm going to go run a, a, a lodge in uh, Golden, B.C. I'm out yeah. of here. And I tell you what, if you're a bureau chief for TSN and your age doesn't start with a three, you're you're getting into the business uh, all in at a pretty early age. Yep. You get that gig and uh, uh, you've gone from there. That, to me, did it feel like you were rising rapidly at that point? Or did you think, well, I've paid my dues. I deserve this. Uh, no, I, I was aware how fast because my stops were really short. So Kamloops was a year and change. Then I was on to Sudbury. That was 10 months. And then my goal was to get back west. And so after 10 months in Sudbury, Saskatoon at Global hired me. And then after five months at Global in Saskatoon, Roger Millions called me and uh, I'd been bugging him for years and years. So they, they basically said, we've already talked to your boss for flying you in tomorrow, you know, come in. And they offered me the job on the spot. So my rise from market to market was, was, was reasonably fast. I think I had an early knack for the on-air stuff. And I think if you, if you're skilled on air, you can work your way through the ranks fairly quickly. The trick is to build the base underneath yourself of being a journalist and, and, and you miss out on that a little bit. And so I think I may have, I may have sort of advanced a little faster than my journalism experience gave me, you know, the backup for, but that's what my time at CTV in Edmonton really gave me. Because working for Roger, you know, Roger was, uh, he was a hard ass, but he was, you know, he was fair. And he taught me a tremendous amount, um, you know, working for Steve Hogle there at CFRN. Seeing mm-hmm. the way some of the reporters went, that's where I really learned the craft of journalism was my, you know, three years or so at uh, CFRN before I graduated on the TSN. So probably to that point, Robin, I'd elevated a little too quickly. But once I got there, that's where I dug in and really built out the base, I think. It's also kind of fun watching you and Brian Mudrick work together <laughs> at CTV yeah, or CFRN as well. I'll never forget the day he walked in. Roger hired him, and he comes in in this big, long, cream-colored trench coat, and his you know his his frosted tips, slick back hair, walking in, big smiles and everything. And I remember looking at Roger. I, I think at one point I said this guy might be cockier than I am. <laughs> and it turns out we were right. <laughs> and I love money. I love money. I did the exact same thing to him. He knows how cocky he was back in the day. So, so you get this, uh, you get this call up from uh, CTV and, and now you're on TSN, that kind of stuff. Are you surprised that it's lasted this long? And I mean that in a positive way. I mean, this has been a great yeah. run for you. 
<clears throat> yeah, am I surprised it's lasted this long? I'm not surprised that the job has remained. You know, like the Edmonton Oilers, when Daryl Cates bought the team and it was pretty clear they weren't going anywhere, that's where my feeling of job security changed a little bit. As long as the Edmonton Oilers are in town, I would assume, TSM, I'm going to knock on some wood here, we'll need a reporter in town covering them. Um, but the fact that it's been able to remain me, I'm certainly thankful for. Um, you know, I my goal was never to move to Toronto and, and move out east. I've been a Western Canadian my whole life, and that's the way I wanted to stay. I remember when, when they hired me, I, I told them at the time, I said, if you're hiring me to move me out east, then then let's not do it. I want to clarify right from the beginning. You guys can't come to me in two years and say you're moving to Toronto. Like I'm here and this is where I want to be. And they were good with that because they, they wanted quality people in Western Canada too. And, and so they've always been, they've understood my commitment to being out here. Um, but but, but, but they, did drag, they, they did drag you to Toronto to work the desk a little bit. Do you think that they were trying to see if that might yeah. tempt you? Uh, you know, we, we, like I, I always said to them, I'm willing to have the discussion, but don't, I just can't ever be forced. So there were a few opportunities through the years with different things. And yeah, I mean, if I'd have wanted to go there to anchor at some point, maybe that opportunity would have been there for me. I had the opportunity to go do it as a backup anchor. I used to be the backup host for Rod Smith on the six Fox sports center. They'd fly me out there when Rod was taking holidays. I did that for a few years. And, you know, I anchored some Olympic coverage and I've spent tons of time on the sports center anchor desk earlier in my career. And I loved it. But honestly, guys, my, my passion is, is being in the field. It's storytelling and being in the field and being in the moment and being at the event. You know, I would way rather be the guy grinding it out, you know, on a 21-day trip at the Olympics in Athens in 40-degree weather, you know, having to on a moment's notice, hey, we just, we just qualified for a final in trampoline, go! You know, and you hop in the car and you're reading up on trampoline, what the rules are, and then you're just <laughs> looking for the story. Uh, I love that. I love being in the field storytelling. And so the anchor desk is fun and there's some, some glory that comes with that, but in the field is where my juices really flow. You know, it, it's funny, Ryan. I remember thinking, who is this smart ass when you first? Oh yeah. Started? Oh yeah. You, you put me in my place, bud. I know you did. <laughs> but you know what? You talk about that base, and that's the thing. All you see uh, of, of a broadcast guy was how he works in the rink and what he does in the finished product when you're working the sports desk. That base you talk about, developing contacts, um, uh, doing the legwork, finding out what the real story is. Uh, you're a lot more than just a smart ass. And again, not trying to embarrass you. That, from that first impression, <laughs> and I think I've, I, you know, We've communicated the odd time on social media and messaging and that. Um, it just feels to me looking from the outside because I'm now an outsider, uh, literally, uh, to go with the podcast name. You've sort of developed everything underneath it. Um, it's not just how is he with the mic in his hand when the camera's yeah. on. Um that development, uh, has it been hard work, talent, both? Uh, what's the story on that, Ryan? Um, I think I've just had the opportunity to learn from some pretty awesome people. You know, uh, when I got to TSN, um, you know, uh, when Darren Drager came across for us, that was a game changer for me. You know, Dregs is a, he's a great friend, but he's also someone I've learned a tremendous amount from. Yep. how to conduct myself, how to handle contacts, how to build contacts, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I, I think about drags. I think about, as I mentioned before, you know, Roger, I think about there have been people throughout my, my time that have had a big influence on me. But honestly, Robin, I think where it comes from for me is that I'm one of the fortunate people who is able to work in a field that I'm, I'm really passionate about. And, and, it combines two of my true loves. And this is why I feel so fortunate. This isn't just one thing that I love. I love the game of hockey. I come from the game of hockey. It's like, it's in every fiber of my being is the game. Yeah. Um, but I love journalism and I love broadcasting. I love the field of, you know, I went to BCIT fully intending on being a news person. I was not a guy that was like sports or nothing for me. You know, I, I consume as much news as I do sports news. 
Um, I pay attention to the way journalists do their job. I pay attention to the media landscape. I love my field. I love my craft. And even though I, I'm in the journalism toy department, I take it very, very seriously. So I think any success I've had is a combination of luck, but truly being passionate about what I do, which gives me the energy to focus on it. Does it concern you the way the business is going? And, and I say this from not only a news perspective, but also from a sports perspective that, uh, there's a lot of people that don't really want to deal with mainstream media anymore. And that worries me a little bit because I still think mainstream media is important that we can't bank totally on, on social media and that kind of thing. A little concerned with the direction that things are going. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't and on a couple of fronts. So there's the way the industry itself is actually going and the, some of the things that we're seeing. Yeah. Um, and that's what I think you're referring to, but I also, um, uh, I have a real issue with the way that journalism has been under fire for about four and a half, five years now. And I think we all know where that came from. Uh, it's just, it's, it's painful to me to see people that I know throw their heart and soul into their work and try and put in an honest day's work and the way that they're treated on social media and in the field by people. Uh, just hurtling the the fake news moniker at them and the way that journalists are just so ridiculed, criticized, demonized, you know, uh, this whole mainstream media untrustworthy stuff, man. I know people throughout this industry that work for all networks across the board. And I I won't speak for the U.S., I'll speak for this country because I believe it's a lot more polarized south of the border. But, you know, even some of my colleagues at CTV, you know, some of the stuff they go up to cover and the way they get treated, it's just, it's been really difficult and painful. And I've let all the people in my orbit know the words fake news. You don't use them when you're around me. You don't. I'm offended by that term. And I'm offended by that term being applied to this industry that I love. There is such a thing. It's fake news. What I'm doing what my friends at CTV and global and CBC and what they're doing. That's not what that is. Those are people who get up every day and do their best to tell a good story that day. And nobody's perfect, but there's honor and there is decency and it's important work. And I hate the way that not just people on the fringes, so many people attack, you know, what we do in this, this industry that I love. And it's, I, I, I hate it. So that's been really painful for me to witness for the last four or five years. Ryan, you, you mentioned uh, honor and dignity, and immediately my mind goes back to somebody on this topic. Um, I've never met a more welcoming, helpful, uh, generous guy than uh, Jim Matheson at the Journal. Yeah. Um, Maddie took me by the hand and showed me around, like I said, um, and was was gave me contacts freely that I, I never would have. I look at Twitter today and I see what I assume were a bunch of young kids. It seems to be a sport now. I notice Maddie because I, I, I care about him. They just, they go after this guy, this writer who's made it to the writer's wing of the Hall of Fame, who's covered the game since Wayne Gretzky was a pimply-faced teenager and it's like it's for sport. Um, just generally, where is that hostility to him and other people that you've mentioned? Where does that come from? Why Why are we seeing that? Or is it something that was always there and we're only hearing it now because of social media? Yeah, this is a this is an interesting topic for me. I I, I, I will have to calm myself down to be able to talk about this in a way where I'm not going to have to phone you guys after and say, "Sorry, guys, I need you to cut that." Like that's how frustrated and passionate I am about this very topic okay. <clears throat> about the way people behave and where this whole thing is gone. So I'll, I'm going to take a deep breath before I dig into this because uh, I get very defensive of Jim Matheson as well. Maddie was the exact same to me. Um, I have nothing but love and respect for Maddie and I see the way people talk to him and, uh, and it's disgusting, but I want to clarify here, Rob. And I think that what Twitter does is it amplifies you to seem like the many. And it's just not. It's just not. You know, you take a group of any 600 hockey fans, I'm going to love to have a beer and a chat and a good chirp session with 560 of them. 
but it's the 40 other ones that get amplified. And Twitter is the perfect way for that 40 to amplify themselves because it's their garbage that gets picked up and retweeted. And I wish the rest of us would do a better job of just disregarding the morons out there. Really. It drives me nuts when, when people are amplifying the message of the, of the, the ignorant. I think, why bother? Just like, it's not even worth the response. Block them and move on. Like, the so what I the point I'm making is I don't think that it's the majority of Oiler fans and I don't want to wag my finger at Oiler fans on Twitter because most people would never speak to somebody that way. Mm-hmm. But for those people that do go after Maddie, you know, my message would be have some bloody respect. Like you talk to your you know people in your life that way. Do you talk to your folks that way? Would you ever stand in front of somebody and speak to them that way? And Twitter is this place where. Uh, we've stopped talking directly to one another and we've started screaming at each other in front of everybody because that's the new way to communicate. Yeah, I'm not going to go directly and have a conversation with you. I'm going to scream at you so everybody can hear. And then I'm also going to comment about how polarizing everything is these days. And wh- why would that be? Because we stopped talking to each other and we started yelling at each other in front of everybody. And it's a horrible way of communication. And in so many ways, I hate the medium, hate it, but I have to do it for my job. And there's a lot of positive interactions. And as we saw with what just happened with Ethan Bear, that medium can lift people up and let them feel the support of the world wash over them. So you have to take it for its positives and not let those 40 people, Robin, on a 600 sour us on something that can do so much good. But the disrespect towards Jim Matheson by the loudmouth fan it's terrible. Have some bloody respect and don't follow me. If you've ever sent any crap like that to Maddie, uh, unfollow me today because it's garbage. Have some bloody respect. One of the huge advantages that we've always had, though, has been we've had locker room access. So therefore, we could always we could always go down to that room and ask the tough question or we could pull a guy aside and just have a casual conversation and try to get to know him a little bit. But now with COVID... There's been a wall that's been put up, and it's making the job a lot tougher. Are you sensing that we're ever going to go back to the way it was, or do you think that now that wall's up, it's always going to be up? No, I hope we're back in the room next year. I hope in, in September, October, we're back in the room. That's what I'm expecting. That's what we're going to push for. Um, I I think it's not a good situation at all if we don't go back to that. You know, it's it's the way we're most efficient at doing our jobs. It's a level of access that the league requires um, when things are normal. So, I mean, I sure as heck hope for a friend. Uh, I don't want to lose any of the access that we had before. You know, it's funny. Anytime we talk about access, people, fans just kind of, well, lots of them. Maybe it's just the 40. They go, oh, you're, you're no wonder. And they, they, they don't care about our access. When the reality is they, they should really care about our access. Because if they don't care about our, our access, all they're going to get is what the team decides to put out to them, you know, from behind the scenes. Uh, we need to be in there. And we need to be able to talk to four, five, six players a day if we need to instead of one or two. And I'm not criticizing the team. They, the Oilers have been good. They have done their best. You know, the Oilers were the only team in the North Division to make their goalies available on game day. Mike Smith was the only one. All the other goalies in the North refused. And they knew that. Yet they still believed enough in our access and the importance of it that they continued to do that. So huge respect to them for, for making that a priority. I want full access back, man. I think that's what we need, and I think it's what we have to push for. Well, and the thing is, Ryan, you've been a, around long enough now to have seen it change. Uh, there was a time when it was uh, wider open than it is now, way wider, You could sit down one-on-one. If the player trusted you, if he knew you, have a coffee. Uh, Everything wasn't on a podium uh, with everybody getting the same answer. And you didn't have a media relations guy going, hey, hey, he already did his thing. Don't go pulling him off to the side. Um, I'd hate to see it shrink anymore because it's not what it once was. And I don't think there's room for it to tighten up uh, any further. How about you? Well, yeah, I, I agree. And, and, you know, I think that the smart public relations people know that by completely sanitizing the reporter's relationship with the players, there's a level of accountability that gets lost. Yeah. 
So, you know, if I'm allowed in that room and I can talk to whoever, Leon Dreisaitl, on camera with the mic going and then, you know, the microphones turn off, there's also a relationship there that needs to be managed. So I know I'm standing there. If Leon, if I do or say something unfair or out of line that pisses Leon Dreisaitl off, I got to stand there and he has every opportunity to come right up to me and challenge me on it. I mean, God, Taylor Hall did it three, four times to me in the course of his time there. If I did or said something he didn't think was fair, as soon as the lights were off, he'd go Ryan and he'd pull me aside and he'd come right at me. Um, by sanitizing the relationship so that all it is is camera on, camera off, out of the room, player gone, there's no accountability. There's, there's zero accountability. So if a reporter's sitting in the stands and decides to send a tweet that is a smart-ass tweet, disrespectful, mean, but it's kind of funny, right? What are they thinking? Why not? What yeah. are they going to do? Not talk to me? What are they going to do? We're like, yeah. Whereas before, Robin, you know this. We had relationships we were accountable to as well. And that kept us doing the job in a professional way because we knew we had to face those guys. But the teams have sanitized these relationships so much that reporters, they got nothing on the line. Why wouldn't I send that tweet absolutely ripping that guy if yep. it's sort of true and really funny? And I know I'm never going to hear about it other than maybe a grumpy PR guy. So yeah. those relationships and the degradation of that, that relationship between the reporter and the player beyond just when the cameras are on, it actually hurt the teams in some ways. See, I my rule all, always was this. If I have a microphone in your face, it's on the record. The moment that microphone comes down, let's just chat. And and everything you tell me is off the record. Yeah, and that's gone. I know. Right now, that's gone. And and that's that's been really difficult. It's been really difficult to, you know, and I commend the players, and I commend Dave Tippett. He was an absolute trooper this year grinding it out on those zoom calls every day they almost he almost never took a day off all we are are annoying voices on a computer grinding at his every move and i mean i don't know that i would have had the patience to deal with it there's no personal relationship there's no opportunity you know i don't know how many times i'd ask a question in a scrum that kind of came out wrong and i was like oh that wasn't great where when the scrum was over i'd pull this guy aside and say listen that one got away from me a little bit I apologize. I could have done that better. Right. We make mistakes and you maintain your relationships. Yeah. We have no chance to do that now. I mean, I, there were a few questions this year where you're just like, ah, oh. I think at one point I had Leon Dreisaitl going, what, what is, what, you know? And, and you're like, ah, you know, normally afterwards you'd have, you know, you'd have a joke or, you know, whatever, but all we are are annoying voices on a computer asking questions they don't want to answer. And there's no human touch to it at all. So, this has been a nightmare from a reporting standpoint to try and do the job even close to the way we used to. You know, it, it, it's funny, Ryan, um, you talk about the back and forth and how important it is. And I completely agree. I, I, I lament the fact that so, so many reporters today won't ever walk into the Edmonton Oilers dressing room and have Teddy Green standing in the corner doing this. Could you come over yeah, here yeah. for a second? And then quietly with a room full of players, knowing exactly why he was upset with me, gently put his hand on my shoulder, but squeeze enough so that I wanted to fall to my knees and say, <laughs> I don't think what you wrote was fair there. All I want yeah, you, yeah. all I want is for you to be fair. Okay. And I said, yep. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And that was it. Okay. See you later, and you have a chat the next day. <laughs> yeah, that's it's just not something that really even even when we are in the locker room, you know, it's just not necessarily the way it goes. Now, you know, we've had so many coaches come through Edmonton that really building a relationship that has any foundation to it, that, like you would with a coach. And let's be clear, I don't want to be friends with any of these people, and they don't want to be friends with me. It's not about building friendships; it's about building relationships based on mutual respect. You know, they. They know we got a job to do and, you know, if they pay attention, hopefully you're somebody that they think does it with some honor. Um, but other than that, they just, you know, you're not looking for deep, deep, long relationships here, but just the ability to say, and I've told every coach I've covered, if you have an issue with anything I do or say, reach out to me anytime. And there have been some that have in the past, some that don't. Um, but Robin, that thing you're talking about, I think is, you know, you need, you need to be in a market for quite a while as a coach to build those relationships. There just isn't, there just isn't the trust. 
you know, yeah. social media and Twitter and the way we use Twitter and report on Twitter and the way everything's so immediate, uh, everybody has their backup. And yeah. honestly, so they probably should the way I would do if I were them. You know, you don't build those real relationships of, of trust where those conversations really happen with any meaning. Hey, before we let you go, career highlights. Are there, are there interviews that you've done in the past where afterwards you went, I love the way that went. I am so proud of myself for doing that interview. Or, wow, if I could change one thing in that interview, I would have gone a different direction. Are there, are there some highs and lows yeah. that you remember so far? Absolutely, 100%, Brent. It's a great question, uh, and I love this question. So there's three things I'll mention, and I'll try not to be too verbose. Um, you know, the experience I had covering Humboldt uh, was – you know, like I said, I hope I never have to do that again, but, um, the relationships that I made, the people that I met, um, that's something that will be with me forever. So that is in a different category altogether. Right. But I think more to your question, there's two, there's a regret and then there's an awesome moment. So do you want the regret first? Or do you want the awesome moment? Well, let's, so let's go with the regret first. Okay. 2010 Canada gold medal game at the Olympics. Sidney Crosby scores the overtime winner. And again, this goes back to not cheering, right? I was sitting in the stands. I was working the broadcast. Sid scores on a couple of shots. You can actually, of the broadcast, you can actually see me. I just stood up, walked, started walking through the fans that were going crazy down to the Zamboni area. I was the one that had to go on the ice and interview Crosby after the game. And uh, so they celebrate for a minute or two or whatever. And then, uh, you know, the PR guy, J.J. Bear brings Sid over to me. And we're live on the air, right? 20-some million people watching. And uh, I, asked, I said, tell me about the goal. And he just kind of said, I don't even know, man. It was crazy. I just kind of shot it and it went in and, you know. And my approach to these interviews is I want to ask the question that I think the guy at home sitting on his couch wants to know. And sometimes I get that right. Sometimes I get that wrong. I'm not convinced I got it wrong in this case, but my next question was, tell me what it was like sitting in the locker room after having let that lead go waiting for overtime. And he was like, yeah, you know, we were confident. We, he gave me a good answer. The next question I asked him was, had this not been you that did this? Some might've questioned your performance at these Olympics. Like that was, you know, your production. Had this not been you? Sid, how do you think you played in these games? And how, you know, how does, what do you think about that? And he just said, I stuck with it. You know, I didn't listen to it and I stuck with it. And I, and so meanwhile, he's answering this third question. So I go softball, fastball, fastball. And JJ's behind him waving his finger, like wrap it up, wrap it up, wrap it up. And I should have ignored JJ because the question I should have asked in the moment is one I almost will never ask, but it was, needed in this moment. Sid, you just scored one of the biggest goals this country has ever seen. Try and describe what you're feeling. Um, but instead, I, I listened to the PR guy and wrapped it up. So after Sidney Crosby's gold medal goal, I threw two fastballs at him and then wrapped it up. And it and it, uh, it missed that question in that moment. So, yeah. Thoughts on that, my fellow journalism pros? Well, uh, we've all kind of gone down that road, not quite as big a moment or big a stage as that one. But, I, 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 you know, it's funny because somebody asked me not long ago, what was the lowest point in your career? And I was on the national radio broadcast of the Grey Cup back in uh, 2002, and it was the Eskimo locker room at Commonwealth Stadium. And I had to talk to Ricky Ray after a devastating loss to the Montreal Alouettes. It's the most painful interview I've ever gone through. But we all have those, but I try to – I do like to, I do want to hear your positive because there's positive stuff out there and you've had some great ones. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and to be clear, I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm happy with the interview. It just, it needed that one last question. Yeah. I wrapped up too fast. Now uh, the positive one was uh, 2004 Athens, Kyle Schufeld. I say I'd never cheer. This might've been one of the times I did. I went to interview Kyle before his, uh, before his competition and he said, uh, after we finished the interview, it wrapped up and everything, he said, hey, listen, just want to let you know, I'm, I'm going to try something I've never tried before. And if it works, I'm going to win the gold medal. And I said, what are you talking about? And he goes, yeah, there's this move, this finishing maneuver I'm going to try. And if I land it, for sure, and if I'm clean, I'll win the gold medal. He goes, but I've never landed it clean before. And the last time I tried, I, I my Achilles went. And I said, what? 
and you're in this moment, you've trained your whole life for this moment. And this is the moment you're choosing to do this. He's like, yeah, I got to lay it on the line. I said, Kyle, you have to let me tell the story. We got to get the camera back here. We got to do this together. He said, no. He goes, it's you and it's my coaches and that's it. I'm not saying a word about this. He goes, but if I land it, then we can talk about it after the fact. And so I was just out of my mind thinking, holy smoke. So we go to cover the event and I'm sitting in the, in the mix zone and I'm watching him and he's clean through his whole routine and I'm one of the only ones that knows what's going on. And he you can see him steal himself and get ready. And he goes full speed and he does this thing. I don't even know how to describe it. Just flippity flopping around in the air and bang, two foot to landing, arms in the air. He did it. And he won the gold medal. And I'm sitting in the mix zone. I was like, <laughs> he did it. He'd never done that before. You know, I was just like, I got to tell people. And uh, it was just an incredible moment. And so he comes through the mix zone after to do the interviews and he sees me. And by then I've like clicked back into Ryan, the journalist mode. Like I've calmed down and I'm just going to interview him. And he looks at me and he goes, I did it. And he jumped into my arm. <laughs> he actually like jumped up and hugged me because he remembered that he had told me. And I was sort of like, Oh, this is not, I'm, I shouldn't be doing this, but way to go. And, and so I got to tell that story post-event I got to talk about how he had never landed this before and in the biggest moment of his life he put everything on the line and that was absolutely thrilling for me so the jump in the hug wasn't live because that had been good stuff no no we were ENG cameras so just taping it in the mix zone okay. uh, so no that was not live thank goodness because uh, yeah that's I wouldn't have been comfortable with that <laughs> well I I know it was an on-air shtick, but when you've been accused of trying to run people out of town as often as you oh, have, yeah. uh, and when the intro to your uh, a segment is, is that a mandate of yours with Mac T <laughs> deadpanning you in the hallway outside the room, you're probably asking the right mix of questions, no? Uh, yeah. I mean, you don't cover a losing hockey team for a decade and a half without getting into it with some people sometimes. I mean, if you're not, you're not doing your job right, if you don't, and that's not because you go out trying to be a jerk, but they rightfully should get defensive if you are asking the right questions. And so I never held that against Mac D one ounce, you know, when he came at me that one night, I, I haven't held it against anybody. Um, yeah, I think if you, if you aren't, wrinkling some feathers and, you know, getting into people's space a little bit, asking some tougher questions, then, you know, you're probably on the wrong side of it. If you, if you, if you want to do it a certain way. So I've, I've tried to, and I haven't always been perfect. I've made a ton of mistakes. I've learned lots of lessons. Uh, I'm not nearly as smart as I thought I was when I was 20 years old. Uh, that's for sure. Robin. How much longer do you want to go? I know you've got a great family. You like to get out into the mountains and hike and do all sorts of fun stuff like that. Have you ever have yeah. you started thinking like that a little bit? Yeah, you know what? Maybe a little bit, Brent. I mean, I'm 44 now, you know, so I, I still feel like I have a lot left in me. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, I feel incredibly fortunate to have the job I had. Ken Chilebeck, who was an icon, did it for 25 plus years, I think, or 20 plus years. Because it really is a great job. You know, I get to cover a sport that I love in an industry that I love. But, you know, I'm, I'm nice and far away from my bosses. They're all out in Toronto. <laughs> so I'm kind of hiding out here a little bit. Um, it's a great life, work-life balance. Um, you know, I've had the tremendous opportunity to cover high-level events from my perch in Edmonton. You know, not moving to Toronto hasn't limited the, the caliber of events that I can go cover, and TSN trusts me to do a lot of that stuff. So I feel really fortunate, and to be honest with you, if, if, if this is the job I retire in, I think I would retire very happy and satisfied. So uh, always looking for more and pushing for more, but with an eye on how lucky I am to have what I have Thanks for your time. This has been great today. You know what? We didn't even, we've, we've hardly talked about the playoffs, anything else, but I just love this today. This is great stuff. Yeah, thank you guys. I really appreciate you having me on. And uh, I just wanted said that, you know, you were two guys that came along at different stages in my career and certainly both had influences on me. Bryn, you were my boss for a little bit. And, you know, you taught me a lot about how decent you can be to people while working in a tough industry. And Rob, and you taught me a lot about earning your stripes, you know, not getting too big for your britches. So 
I like to think I've taken something from all the people that I've met along the way. And you guys are always, always good to me. And I certainly learned a lot from you guys. So this is really cool for me to be able to do. And on a personal note, Bryn, I'm just so thrilled to, to see you and to see you looking so good and so happy and so healthy. Thanks, man. This is uh, fantastic. And when we start another hockey season, we'll get together again, okay? Yeah, we'll talk a little more X's and O's and, uh, and such, but I, I appreciate this. Hey, don't forget the Outsiders is brought to you by the McIntosh Group at Remax River City. You know, I had a chance to chat with Brent McIntosh just the other day, and we were talking about the median sales price for single-family homes right now. It's on the rise, and also with the ridiculously low interest rates, we're talking about the fact that this is a great time to trade your current home in for a larger one. Perhaps your household's feeling a little on the small side with your current family roster, to use a sports term. Well, the team at... The McIntosh Group at REMAX River City is there to help you, maybe assist you, if we can use another sports term, with the sale or maybe the purchase of uh, your next superstar. Anyway, you can just give them a call at 780-464-0075 or check them out online at mcintoshgroup.ca. They will start the process with a complimentary evaluation of your current home. No obligation and no deadline for this offer, but don't let the market pass you by if you're in, in that mindset where you're looking to uh, sell or buy a new home because it's uh, it's just crazy out there right now, and we don't know how much longer that's going to last. Both buyers and sellers are encouraged to contact the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City directly, 780-464-0075, or you can find them at mcintoshgroup.ca. So once again, a big thank you to Ryan Rashog from TSN for joining us on episode 61 of The Outsiders. Uh, that was a blast. Anything surprise you in there today? Uh, no, not really. I mean, most of the most of the stuff we talked about, you know, I've seen from Ryan over the years. For me, I like talking about how, you know, yes, from the minute you start out and you think you know everything until the point where you actually know something and realize you didn't know a whole bunch when you started, but you got through and you grew. I like that kind of stuff because I bet you a lot of guys out there have the same kind of story because nobody jumps in as good on day one as as they do 15 years down the road. So interesting journey for Ryan and some, some big stories already in his career. Well, let me ask you this because we've never really talked about it ourselves. If you think back to when you really started getting rolling and uh, we were all cocky, there's no denying that. We all thought we knew it all, but do you laugh when you think back to uh, your first few days? Oh, I look back and wonder how I wasn't fired the on day <laughs> day one or week one of my first newspaper job, even though it was only at a weekly newspaper. I mean, you've got to be confident to go anywhere in this business. Sure. You know that, sure. yeah. but holy crap. You look back and you go did I really write that? Did I really ask that? And it's, it's embarrassing. Not to mention some of the old clips, uh, you read them and go, hmm, I won't be showing those in, as an example of fine writing anytime soon. Well, it's funny. I'm just going to get up from my location here and move over here for a minute because I'm wandering around the my studio here. I stumbled on this. I'm going to bring it over so you can take a peek at it and I'll describe it to everybody here. Do you see this thing here, Robin? Yes. It's a, it's a Sony Walkman. It's the sport edition. It's a cassette player. And lately I've stumbled on a bunch of my tapes from my, uh, the beginnings of my career. And what I'm trying to do is I'm just trying to digitize. I've got a bunch of play by play games. I did with the Moose Jaw Warriors and some of the yep. stuff I did at CHAB and Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan Super 8, by the way. And, uh, you want to talk about your cockiness and how you, when you listen back to the stuff that you first did or you first wrote, and uh, you recognize that, you know what, I, I, I'm like you, Rob, and I'm surprised that I still made it through the first couple of years and that I was able to turn it into a 34-year career. It's, uh, it's really amazing. So I thought Ryan's stuff today was great. I, 
it's always fun to chat with him. We tried to get him on earlier, and it's nice that uh, things are a little quieter now for him. But uh, it was fun having him on the show today. Did you freeze up again? No, I just was. I didn't feel the need to say I agree, Bren. You're right. You are. Of course, it was. <laughs> you're, you're, I saw you staring. Like I, I thought. Oh, my, oh, I've lost him. I've lost him today. No, I, I, I committed to not saying anything superfluous back. Nice. Hey, uh, thanks for your time. Looking forward to uh, the next week. And uh, to everybody in the U.S., by the way, if you're listening, it's Memorial Day. So hopefully you're enjoying with your family. It's it's a day of reflection in the U.S. So uh, we're thinking of you down there as well. Robin, thanks for your time today. And, of course, uh, we're back next week, pumped up and ready to go. Absolutely, man. I'll talk to you then. Okay. Or you'll say nothing and you'll make me squirm like you did today. We'll talk to you later. (laughs) Bye bye boys. Have fun storming the castle. <laughs>